Whether it's a report from a sub or a comment from a passing observer, the way people talk about students often boils down to one thing, student behavior. It runs the gamut from, that class is completely out of control, to, what a polite and respectful group of young people. Educators everywhere are trying to amend the former and replicate the latter, but it starts with a firm understanding of the science of behavior. And of course, to balance out all this research, we're relating it by way of a pretty sweet metaphor that would make both Gene Wilder and Johnny Depp proud. The suspense of GLG's first episode is terrible. We hope it'll last. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your very own guildmates and hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. Picture this. Your school is hosting a three-day overnight retreat for high school students. Your principal asks you to work this event. It will require you to supervise students overnight, prep, and implement activities for them. What would it take to motivate you to accept this assignment? Second situation, your principal asks you to supervise five of the most challenging students and one of the most amazing kids on one of the best field trips ever to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. What would it take to motivate you to accept this assignment? So whether we're considering the behavior of a class of students or a single individual learner, it is critical to understand the why behind the choices and moves each individual makes. What motivates them to act in this way and what can we do to help? In classrooms, staff rooms, and chocolate factories alike, behavior science is always going to come into play. So in this two-parter, we intend to explore the research and theory behind the science of behavior and reframe how we might think about those bad eggs and ultimately share strategies for how to build and support positive behavior in the Veruca Salts and the Mike TVs alike. So, fam, before we kick off this episode with a bunch of Chocolate Factory-related fun here, we got to recognize something. This is the first episode of our fourth season of the Grounded Learners Guild. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Four is my lucky number. It's going to be a good one. I just feel it. Right, listeners? Can't wait. I'm just so excited that we're still here doing this. This has been a blast. Let's keep it rolling. Okay, so kind of diving in here, Casey, you had kind of read off a couple scenarios at the beginning. Yeah, so we'll talk about those scenarios in just a second, but I just want to let our listeners know that in our last season, season three, we talked about motivation. Like, how do we motivate students? And we did that through the lens of engagement, or that's the ultimate purpose. How do we invite and make students a part of and really invested in the learning process? This episode is a little different. We're going to be talking about motivation, yes, but really tapping more so into behavior. We know that student behavior has become a really high priority for a lot of classroom teachers and administrators. And some might say it's a result of the pandemic, and that is true. But I think there has been rising behavior needs in our classrooms. And so this episode really, it strives to be a support for anyone looking to revamp, refresh, or even reframe how they're thinking about student behavior. So to kick this off, let's revisit back at our scenarios. 
If you think about that first scenario, have either of you supervised overnight students, high school students before? <laughs> I can even say more than three nights overnight, very long trip to Europe. So we've taken students even out of the country with passports. There are oh. stories. Wow. Uh, I can just say no. I've taken kids places, but never overnight. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my situation, I would supervise a multi-night overnight trip. I worked at a parochial school and I did it twice. And eventually I was like, yeah, no, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so when you think about what would actually motivate you to accept that assignment, I'm going to put forth a couple of options for us here. And both sets of options will be the same for both scenarios, both Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory or, or Charlie's Chocolate Factory or the overnight. So what would make you say yes? Hmm. First, $800 in cash, like under the table cash. <laughs> I live in nanny for a year, weekly wine delivery straight to your door, receiving special recognition as educator of the year for doing this supervision work, having a personal chef, being TikTok famous for a good reason, not because <laughs> someone caught you doing some bad stuff, but for a positive reason just because just because you want to do it or a week off from work and you don't have to make something casey the this list is is very comprehensive but also yeah. very <laughs> hypothetical and unlikely isn't it yeah. <laughs> oh that's tricky i do feel like it depends on the scenario and there's a few of these. what was your gut yeah what was your gut with that first scenario of because especially for you, Emily, you were a hard and fast. Nope, never done it. What would it take for you to say yes? Oh, gosh. I, okay. So when, I, when I'm trying to figure out if I would do it or not, my instinct, I hate to say so, is to haggle. I'm team skeptic. I want to <laughs> haggle. But I can't, right? That's against the rules. Mm -hmm. No haggling. Okay. No haggling. Okay. I think... I can think of everything that like a downside to pretty much anything, but a week off from work with no sub plan sounds pretty delightful. Nice. Let's go with that. Okay. Jenny, what about you? Uh, mine was not nearly as difficult for me to choose. All of them sound really great, but I was also thinking like value. Like what is really going to be the most mm. like 800 bucks is nice, but I think there's some things you listed out that would actually cost way more <laughs> worth a lot more than $800. So I actually yeah. went with the personal chef for a year. That's the one I would want. Nice. You have to think about dinner, one less thing to plan, always having dinner ready. That would be. Oh, yeah. But you know, I like pretending I'm yeah. on top chef. I love to cook. So that wouldn't work. <laughs> but it works for me. Yep. And mine would be a live-in nanny for a year. <laughs> To not have to worry about spending time doing fun things with my kids, not having to worry about picking them or carting them to and from school. I think that would be awesome. That one was a close so. second for me. If it, if it had <laughs> nanny, I would have been, but the live-in thing. Yeah, that, that is what I was like, I don't know if I want to. I, like, I don't know if I need another person in my house. I don't know. She would have her own trailer like, <laughs> that she would live in. Well, like, like a, like a she shed like in, the, in my house in the back. <laughs> we'll put some bistro lights. It'll be nice. It'll be nice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Now, interestingly enough, all of us, if we were to categorize each of those motivating 
situations, right? The nannies, the week off from work, the having a personal chef. You could argue that at the root of those rewards or those benefits is the same motivation or the same function, right? Whereas if you think about the $800 cash or the weekly wine delivery, that has a different function, which one could argue there's a second function with it. (laughs) But each of those categories reflect a different function behind behavior. So when we're talking about understanding the functions of behavior, we're really talking about five things. We are motivated to engage in a behavior because it feels good. That's the sensory function behind behavior. So that's the reason my kiddo really loves to play in the sand, right? He loves the feeling of it. When we talk about being motivated by having a nanny or taking a week off of work, we're kind of motivated by something called the escape function. We want to break. We want to relax. We want to engage in self-care and not worry about certain things. That's an escape function. And you see that all the time with little kiddos, big kiddos alike. And I don't know if you guys can put your brain back into the place where we're having the episode about parenting and teaching. Remember discussing with the Dalzells and with both of your husbands. I remember the term elopement came up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like that is the literal escape, right? The elopement idea. I know we were discussing what we would do if one of our kids did that. And it doesn't have to be physical escape. It can be like mental or cognitive escape. Like this thing is too hard for me. And so I'm going to act out or I'm going to act up or act different because I want to get away from having to do the cognitive load that this task takes from me. Yeah. And I mean, that can take any number of forms. We see that with the attendance issues that some of the higher grades of students are having where they're just ditching class. And I was a kid Mm -hmm. who would just withdraw and just go read a book under my desk while I was supposed to be doing something else. I mean, neurodivergence obviously is on the table there, but there was definitely a degree of escape. I couldn't get my brain to focus. So I just did something else. Yeah. And I think it's important to even talk about the concepts of these behaviors could also be very positive and or negative, right? So the results, and we'll get into that a little bit deeper as we go, but like there are times when escapism isn't healthy and other times when you really need it in order for good self-care. Exactly. True. We all picked it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What does that say about us, right? (laughs) We're moms. That's why. (laughs) Yep. Yep. moms. (laughs) And then the next function is the attention function. I think this is where if you see kids, you'll often hear, oh, they're just doing it for attention. That's a big thing. In our society today where you may have two working parents or you may have just kids who really, all kids need attention, right? So you may see escalated or elevated student behaviors because it's sometimes easier and quicker to get attention through maladaptive, non-pro-social behaviors versus doing kindness and being kind and nice and sharing. Sometimes those go unnoticed where more challenging behaviors like hitting or spitting or kicking or throwing those get you attention far faster. So in our scenario, the TikTok famous and receiving recognition, those would be classified as attention 
motivators or rewards. Yeah, I can think of this in not only the classroom, but also at home. In the classroom, you hear Mm -hmm. that a a really good strategy is to notice and name those really positive behaviors so that it is something that other kids want to emulate. Your students are saying, oh, this is what is going to get the teacher's attention rather than focusing so much on those negative ones that would then maybe elicit more of that. And then even at home, my oldest, she is, when you think of the five love languages, she is quality time. And so when I don't give that to her, I really really notice those attention seeking behaviors start to to come out. And so I try so much to also notice and name those within her or to give her some of that as well. Knowing her motivations there can help me not only parent her, but knowing that in the classroom can help us teach our students. Yeah. And then our next function is the tangible function. So I do a thing and I get money for it, or I get that weekly wine delivery, or me getting my paycheck, right? Those are those tangible functions. Oftentimes in classrooms, we see those as PBIS rewards or stickers at the end of the week, or my kiddo's got wolf bucks that he gets to earn if he does good things in class. So those are the tangible behaviors. And then finally, one of our favorites, we talked about it in our motivation episode. The last function is intrinsic functions. I do it because, just because, just because it's the right thing to do or I simply want to do it. And this last one is truly the hardest. That's what I was going to say. It's so hard. Yeah. (laughs) And is it something you can't teach? No, you can't. So when you talk about the science of behavior and trying to teach students different ways of self-management and regulation, you really cannot teach the intrinsic because it just simply comes from within. You can develop it through a sense of pride and accomplishment. And over time, it's going to increase with confidence. But when you're talking about functional behavior analysis, they're really going to focus on those first four of sensory escape, attention, and tangible. Can I bring you back one more to the intrinsic though? And here's why, because we prior to yeah. recording, we were thinking about what are some examples of all of these functions of behavior. And intrinsic is one that we would love to replicate and how can we find the environment in which people are yeah. feeling intrinsically motivated to do something. And I have not yet figured it all the way out. However, I didn't know if you, your brains went here, but mine did, is when we think of even the project of this podcast, let's be real, there are no yeah. tangible mm-hmm. benefits yeah. <laughs> coming up way at all. <laughs> like what has kept us going year after year? I mean, we're in season four now. There's some intrinsic motivations mm-hmm. here for us to continue the work that we do. But I don't know. What do you guys think on that? Like, wh- how, what are we cultivating that's keeping this going? It's a passion project. I, it really is. I mean, and granted, I am getting attention from the both of you, so I'll take it. <laughs> well, I, but we have had these conversations before when it really becomes hard and it really becomes a slog. Mm-hmm. We have conversations about that attention side. Are we speaking just to ourselves? If that's true, awesome. Let's keep it going. But sometimes there is an attention component, whether that's the attention of the three of us or the attention of our listeners, because there's nothing tangible about it. That's for sure. Definitely no, not. I would say that there is some intrinsic motivation Absolutely. running through the, the center of it all, the gooey center of it all. Speaking of the gooey center of it all, we got to talk about candy at some point, right? Let's get there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and so bringing it back to the second scenario. I don't know about the two of you, but for that second scenario, I wouldn't need the same function. I wouldn't be operating under the same function 
um, and need the same type of rewards to go on that second field trip than I would at the first. I think for that one, I would be more internally motivated to see what the factory was really like to maybe have fun with that little candy in the first room. I don't want to go in the other rooms. I would have been like Augustus and hung out in that main candy <laughs> area. But I wouldn't need the same. And the same is true for students, right? We can't always provide the same one-size-fits-all behavior motivators because it's situational. It's going to depend on whatever the task is or the ask even is in order to shift into the appropriate function. That's so true because as I think about back to the question you asked Casey about have you ever done this and I'm like yeah I actually have taken you know quite a few probably upwards of 20 to 25 students overseas what in the world would get me to say yes to doing that and really when you think about it it's an awesome location and they do you are working Mm -hmm. but you do not have to pay your way as a chaperone right so those are the benefits there's some tangible Mm -hmm. benefits there there's also the situational experiential benefits that go along with doing that because it is yeah. a lot of work. I can tell you, I was sitting at the side of Notre Dame while someone was very sick from the flu <laughs> and I was holding a puke oh, bag, literally. Oh, so no. super oh. but like literally you're working yeah. really hard, but yet at least the scenery was great. There's Notre Dame, the Sun River. Yeah. I got great scenery, yeah. but yeah, it's still, it's, you know, doing something like that is, is tough. What motivates mm-hmm. to get people to want to do those things, right? What made us go back? Exactly. <laughs> Cause we've gone back several trips Mm -hmm. Right. And and this is what kind of our call to action with the first part of this episode is, is if you're seeing within the first few weeks, your students demonstrating some not I call it non pro social because all behavior is communication. It is not negative or positive, but it's them trying to communicate something to you. And if you think about it, their behaviors through this lens of these functions, it becomes kind of a cool thought experiment to think about, okay, this is not resulting in a positive behavior. It's resulting in a negative impact. What is the function behind it? And how can I scaffold and provide the same function to that student without demonstrating that same behavior? I really like that too, because I think mm-hmm. we, we always are striving to try to divorce the behavior from the child, the behavior from the person, right? right? We want to make sure that we're not considering behaviors to be innate parts of a person's personality, you know? Even when I talk mm-hmm. about my own disengagement as a kid, like it wasn't that I am innately a disinterested person or not incapable of being an active learner. I think we want to make sure that we, we keep that far apart from our assumptions about a person's personality. And that's one more wedge we can put in there to consider it through that filter. You know, the other thing that I'm thinking about too is we talk so much instructionally about what it means to differentiate for students cognitively with their learning, mm-hmm. right? And I think the same is true when it comes to their behavior as well. So when we think of the tangible benefits of PBIS, wonderful, it's great, but sometimes that doesn't work for certain students. So how do we differentiate? If you notice that those wolf bucks aren't really speaking to that student and it's not working, what else can we do? When we look at the functions of behavior along these lines, it gives you another route to try to reach that student, to differentiate their needs as in, in terms of and as needed for their behavior. Well, and I think even a step further than that, sometimes differentiation becomes a dirty word in classes. It's because I have upwards of 30 kids in my class and they all need something different. This functions of behavior framework really says you need to design or differentiate for four behavior types. 
at most. Your intrinsic motivators, you really don't have to do anything to design for them. And then your escape, your attention, and your tangible. So that way it makes it far more manageable to figure out, okay, what are some ways that I can really support a positive classroom community by creating experiences that tap into these four motivating factors. And just a nugget, not for today's episode, but something that we would need to explore because this is where my brain goes. But like, yes, you wouldn't have to plan for those intrinsic people, but how do we get more people to move into that intrinsic motivation? Again, we are not going to solve that today because if we were, no. <laughs> uh, we, we were, we're not going to solve for it today. But it's just something that always like strikes me as like, how do we move beyond some of the, the other ones? But I think we tapped into it in our Cobra Kai episode that authentic engagement really brings out that intrinsic motivation piece. So definitely check back to season three for sure. Bonus point. Yeah. And I would even mention maybe we could look back to the Gen Z episode. I feel like when we were listening to Taylor talk about her experience with theater and, and how important that was for making a really memorable learning experience. I think that that was, that was just like a glimpse of it in action too. Mm -hmm. You bet. Yeah. The other piece of this framework that I think before we really start to parse this out through kind of some case studies themed with our Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is what is termed the ABCs of behavior. So we have the behavior itself. Dr. Ross Green is an American psychologist, and he says, like many other behavior scientists and researchers, that the behavior that we see typically from students or anyone in general, that's the symptom. It's not the root cause or the illness. Again, not wanting to put a negative spin, but just using the analogy. It's the symptom, right? It's not the actual diagnosis. So the ABCs refer to the antecedent, the behavior, and then the consequence. The antecedent is the trigger or the inciting moment that leads to the behavior itself. And then the consequence will either reinforce the behavior or teach a student or a learner or someone not to do that behavior again. So I forget what the opposite of reinforce is. Punish? Consequence? That's the word. That's the word. That's the ABCs. (laughs) So we're obviously no social workers ourselves, but you did mention that we were going to take a look at the at the Wonka kids, right? Yes, yes. So let's look at, and for those of you who it's been a minute, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a book, movie, well-beloved by children everywhere, even though it's a little creepy, <laughs> but it's the story of Charlie Bucket and his adventures exploring the amazing world of Willy Wonka and his chocolate factory. And he fulfills a childhood dream and spoiler alert because of his kind and sweet nature and good heartedness. Charlie actually ends up inheriting this amazing factory and changes his and his family's life. So great little story. It's not a spoiler if the book is over 30 years old. So let's think about some of the most familiar characters here. Probably the character that everyone can think of apart from Willy Wonka is Veruca Salt. Do you, she's the one that always sticks but out to me. But I want it now. But I want it now. Daddy, daddy. get it for me, daddy. I want it now. <laughs> so with everything that we have talked about, let's first start with her function for her behavior. Where are you seeing Veruca's function being? Why does she do the things she that she does or behaves the way she does? 
tangible. Tangible. Yep. Absolutely. She wants the golden goose before Easter. She wants a feast. She wants all the things. And so my question then is if you think about her antecedent, when does she fly off the handle in the movies? Do you all remember it? I feel like she flies off the handle when anyone says no to her. So in her case, the antecedent is, is you're exactly right. Someone's told her no for the very first time and her dad can't manipulate the situation to get her what she wants, like having an entire factory worth of people unwrapping chocolate bars for her in order to get what she wants. Yeah, because he'll usually just break out his wallet and solve the problem, right? And so Mm -hmm. she's not used to that. So being told no is abrupt and uncommon yeah. for her and, Wa- and that's when she and wonka is not motivated by the money no nope <laughs> he's got everything that he needs so he doesn't have he's intrinsically motivated to mm-hmm. say no to her because <laughs> he doesn't like brass yep. <laughs> and so as a result of being repeatedly told yes the consequence for her is the behavior has been reinforced. Now, as a result of what happens to her in the Golden Goose Lab or whatever you would call it, the Golden Goose Nursery. Yeah, or squirrels um, in the book, right? Squirrels? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. The consequence here, do you remember what happens to her? She gets sent down the garbage chute, right? (laughs) (laughs) She does! (laughs) So we would hope that Miss Veruca learns learns her lesson at the end. Do you guys want to try yeah, another one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go. This is funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for our next one, let's talk about Mike TV. So Mike TV, he was the kid who absolutely loves watching TV, wants nothing more than to just sit and watch TV the whole time. And so he is in the Wonka Vision studio where Wonka shows him how to how he can transport a piece of chocolate through television waves and makes it small. What would be his function for what happens? Why he jumps into the machine to be turned and transported via Wonka vision? This one's not as obvious to me. No, this one's trickier. I feel like it could go one of two directions. Like part of me thinks in general, he's a a TV guy because of escape. But on Mm -hmm. the other hand, he goes, doesn't he say like, I'll be the first kid ever to do this. And then there's some attention. He does. That in that case, you're exactly right. His because what really is motivating him is to be the first person ever to be transported via television. That's attention. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were to think about some of his other situations where he just wants to sit there and watch TV. That's escape for sure. But in this instance. And mm -hmm. that turns out to be his downfall. Exactly. So that's why the antecedent in the ABCs of behavior is so important because that changes what you would want to do in the future to scaffold towards different behavior. So if you were to address the behavior, like the attention seeking behavior in this instance, he might have been saved from being shrunk and stretched. But (laughs) the problem would likely still be a thing because you're not addressing the escape function. Exactly. Exactly. So Violet's an interesting one. Let's talk about Violet Beauregard. Now, hers is the gum chewer. Mm -hmm. She is constantly chewing gum and she ends up stealing a piece of Wonka's experimental multi-flavor changes all the time gum. So what do you think her function for her behavior could be? I feel like it would be sensory. Like, but I feel like that's too on the nose. No. (laughs) 
in that case, that's truly, she is motivated by that gum popping, gum chewing. So her function is sensory. So if we were wanting to retrain the way she gets that positive sensory input, we would need to address it. That's interesting. You got that right. You actually got that right away, Jenny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder. I wondered if intrinsic mo- motivation was in there too, because it like, but I, I think I'm thinking of the more recent movie where she's really mm-hmm. competitive, right? And she wants to be like yeah. getting records and like winning, but that's only a movie thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But again, case in point, functions, really, you have to pay attention to the antecedent, what precedes it. And then let's talk about Charlie and Wonka. I think both of them have the same function. Do they have the same function? I don't know. So I think I think Charlie is kind of a, a mixed bag also, kind of like Mike TV. I think we have to think about what specific incident we're addressing. Mm. Is it where they, you know, they try the fizzy stuff and they fly up to the ceiling? Or are we just talking about how yeah. he behaves and gets through the factory in general? I would say he's a good conscientious kid for intrinsic reasons Mm -hmm. he's he loves his family and he cares about being a good person he seems like the only intrinsically motivated child in the bunch in that way but i do think that because at the beginning what gets him what gets him the golden ticket is tangible he's hungry Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and i can't remember i'm gonna butcher the guy's name but is it snogworth oh i don't know (laughs) Oh, I I can't remember the the villain, but like somebody the co- tries the competition to, guy, right? Yeah, he tries to bribe all the kids to bring an everlasting gobstopper, the newest candy, out of the factory. And Charlie ends up taking one, but gives it back at the very very end. And that is what proves to Wonka that this is the kid he wants to inherit his factory to. He's acting from intrinsic motivation, meaning he knows this is wrong. He respects Wonka, even though he (laughs) accused him of stealing the fizzy drinks and it was violating the terms and conditions, blah, blah, blah. But I see him really as being intrinsically motivated. I would argue that Wonka is actually operating from an attention-seeking Uh, perspective why he wants things run a specific way why he's so eccentric he really wants that attention and personality yeah so Casey you bring up an interesting point that sometimes people in general are going to exhibit different functions of behavior depending on the situation or the scenario or Mm -hmm. the experience as well so it's not always that you fall into one category and live there. Yeah, because we're all motivated by different things at different moments at different times. And that's going to make finding solutions a little bit more complex. I mean, but people contain multitudes. People and, are complex. Yep. Yeah. And so we are going yep. to then hop into some ideas for strategies in our next episode too. Absolutely. And I think this too... The concept of multitudes, right, that people are motivated by different things is actually, if you think about many of us at the start of the school year, we establish these whole class reward systems. And usually they're driven by tangible items. Oftentimes, if you link a tangible item towards or give a tangible item to an already internally motivated or an intrinsically motivated person, you're actually training out of them the intrinsic motivation. So as you think about what positive behavior support systems you use in your classroom, separate from like a whole school system, um, but really think about 
are getting a sense for who your students are first and what might motivate them before doing sort of a blanket whole class motivational system. You want to see what the motivation strategies are for all your kids and get to know them first. Yeah, definitely. It all goes back to relationships, right? And can't wait to dive into a few more of these additional strategies in the next one up and coming. Before we do, we kind of played a little game already, I would say, with making those choices at the beginning about what was going to motivate us, I would say. So this is more just like a question, a thing to ponder for our inner Mm -hmm. and outer pop culture nerds. Question of the day today is when you think of Willy Wonka, who is in your head? Who are you thinking of? Are you thinking of the book Willy Wonka and like little uh, drawings on the page? Are you thinking of Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka? Are you thinking of Johnny Depp? It's a very important question today. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if we're at all going to be similar or different. What if we each were... Yeah. Oh, and no love for little baby Timothy Chalamet, who's going to be Wonka soon, right? right. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels like so like yesterday that we had Johnny Depp's version. But to me, Gene Wilder will always and forever be the person I think of when I think of Willy Wonka. I was a huge Mel Brooks fan back in the day. He was was there a lot. Um, And he was a staple in those. And there's just something delightfully creepy about his (laughs) Willy Wonka without going full on creepy. Like the way he says, stop. Don't do it. (laughs) That really resonates with you, doesn't it? All the bad eggs. Oh my gosh. Stop. Don't do it. Like, because it's operating under the go ahead, make your bed, natural consequence, go for it, see how it plays out. Not really teaching pro social behaviors, but I just love the way he brings that character to life. So always Gene Wilder. Same, same for me. Gene Wilder is the one that I'm thinking of. Of course, the Johnny Depp one is great, but I couldn't help because you have such an iconic idea of the the Willy Wonka that Gene plays. I can't, I can't quite grasp Johnny's take on it, although it was phenomenal. It was just like, got to go back to the classic. The classic is the one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, here comes Emily ruining everything again. Uh, <laughs> hard left. I'm thinking of, <laughs> hard left as usual. Um, yeah, thinking of Book Willy Wonka. I, I like you, Casey, was a big Mel Brooks fan, but I was thinking of yeah. Gene Wilder as other characters even going into that movie. So it just never oh. really clicked into place for me. Although now I kind of like associate Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka with like me more. He's like, go on, tell me more. And he's <laughs> yes, got tell me more. On his hand, <laughs> on his face. Always yeah. that. And Johnny Depp's is just so. He's just got that inflection, and I can't. I it annoys me. I can't me, get around so. the teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like it's more like the others, just not. But like I, I think that the way he's written in the book isn't fully brought out by either of them, really. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Inner librarian becomes book purist. I was going to say, you are consistently fulfilling your role as a librarian. You'd make them proud. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of me, like it or not. Forever and always. All right. So now that we've kind of discussed that and I've, you know, thrown a wrench in the mix (laughs) as I typically do, we're going to continue talking not just about Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but about the science of behavior in our next episode. And like we mentioned earlier, that's the one where we're really going to dig in and explore some of the strategies that we can use to promote positive behavior in students, in adult learners, in whoever it is that we're, we're sitting across the table from. So hope you'll join us. 
And that's a wrap on today's episode. It's always so fun to be behind the mics talking to you, our GLG fam. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. The Grounded Learners Guild is a production of Grounded Learning, LLC. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues. As always, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com. While you are there, check out our past episodes, our socials, and learn how you can bring the GLG flavor to your next professional learning event. And yep, you know, your feedback is everything. Feedback is that powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button. You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you all at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.